Welcome back to Those Happy Places, the podcast that treats theme parks, rides, and attractions like literature. I'm Buddy Duquesne. And I'm Alice White. Hey, Alice, guess what? What? We've got a special guest this week. That's right. Joining us for our podcast first interview is Kevin Parger, host of YouTube's Defunct Land series, a show about lost or forgotten attractions. Podcaster and author of Defunct Land, Guide to the Magic Kingdom. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Hi, thank you for having me. Hello. <laughs> Glad to have you. Yeah, thank you for being on the show. And uh, you're here um, as part of a uh, online book tour to do some outreach for the upcoming release of the book, Defunct Land, Guide to the Magic Kingdom. And Alice and I have just finished reading it literally hours ago. Uh, we're really excited to talk about some of some literature about theme parks on the show. Alice, this is the reverse of what we usually do, isn't it? Yes, we usually uh, talk about theme parks as literature. And now we're talking about literature in regards to theme parks. Uh, honestly, my head is spinning just a little bit. Yeah, to, to make that change in our brains, I think, was a big leap for us. Um, and we've got some questions lined up. But uh, first, uh, Kevin. Do you want to talk a little bit about the book, uh, why you decided to write it, what your process was, and what you're hoping uh, fans of your show, Defunct Land, and uh, fans of the Magic Kingdom, maybe that haven't seen the show, uh, what, what you're hoping they'll get from it? For sure. Well, first off, thanks for having me on. This is awesome. Um, I really appreciate it. I put out something on Twitter that was like, if anybody wants to have me on the show, and thank you for taking me up on that offer, so I'm really happy to be here. Um, so <laughs> I... I uh, I, as far as writing the book, I was the, I was sitting down with a, with a friend, um, that really doesn't watch my show and, um, but he knows about it. And so he was like, you know, you, uh, you should write a book. And I'm like, what? And, uh, he's like, you should do a coffee table book because that is perfect for marketing. I mean, this guy, he listens to a lot of podcasts and he is a, he's a Renaissance man of marketing, except for he doesn't do it himself kind of thing. Um, it's like, I was listening to all these podcasts and it's just, that's what you got to do. And I'm like, okay, um, no, uh, <laughs> cause I, I can't write a book. Um, what he was suggesting was a coffee table book. And so my th immediate was no, I can't do that because, um, I really don't have the, I, I don't take the pictures that I use. I use them under fair use a lot of times, or if I have good relationships with like certain websites and I try to promote the websites when I use them, but that doesn't translate to books. You know, I can't sell someone else's photos unless I went to go shoot them myself. I'm like, so, and that's just so hard. And also, I don't know um, if you know this, but it is super expensive to print books, <laughs> like <laughs> annoyingly expensive. Um, so I, I thought, nah, I can't do a coffee table book. But then I kind of like got that idea of what would a book about defunct lands look like or a book stemming from the show. And if you've never seen the show, I talk about extinct theme park rides and attractions. And I mean, I branched out to themed experiences. Uh, we do television shows now. Um, and it's just things of yesterday, the nostalgia of it. And so I was thinking, well, I, I love my show, but there's certain things that my show can't do. Uh, my show can talk about extraterrestrial alien encounter, which is a huge attraction. I mean, it's a beautiful uh, kind of, you know, simulator esque, but animatronics. I mean, there's so much to talk about, but I can't do an episode on the Penny Arcade because what would that even look like? <laughs> you know, would that be all right? So there was an arcade and now it's gone. Thanks for watching this episode of Defunct yeah. Land. <laughs> uh, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe and smash that like button. And like, what would, you know, what would, um, the tobacco shop on Main Street look like. 
Like it was a tobacco strop on Main Street and now it's gone. Thanks for watching this. You know, you get it. It's like (laughs) not not a lot to say there. Exactly. And so I was like, well, I want to give a full overview, a 100 percent everything at the point of writing. I, I want to get every attraction, even the little ones, minus the parades and also Davy Crockett's canoes, because I didn't want to talk about that. Um, <laughs> it was not it was not worth the page space to talk about the canoes, because that was a literally still, still right there at uh, Disneyland's Rivers of America, by the way. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, they are so such a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they just look miserable. <laughs> the, the, the I people... did it once. <laughs> the, the, once is how many it takes. <laughs> They, I, I, I was at Disneyland a month ago, and <laughs> we were looking over at those people, and it was like, oh, look at this beautiful park we're in. I mean, we got all this wonderful, and then there's these people just, oh, oh they're like, doing I mean, they're, it's like, that's work. It's not on a track. I mean, you're actually. I definitely don't want to roll up to Disneyland and just perform hard labor. That's not, that's not, not my I'm idea of a good time. I was thinking I want to get a full experience. And then I was thinking, you know what I really want to do? I want to parody all these guidebooks. You know, I, I really think there's a, there's a, I found a niche market. Let's go even more niche. What like, will people that read the guidebooks appreciate a parody of them. And you know, the Len Testa does the unofficial guide, which is great. There's no doubt about it. And he includes a lot and he and all of his authors include a lot of humor and it's already kind of a uh, very lighthearted thing in and of itself. Um, but there's not just the unofficial guide. There's all of these books dedicated to how to plan out your best day at Disney World um, and all the tips and secrets and different things. And I was thinking, well, what if I, you know, I'm as as the host of Defunct Land, as a creator, I am someone that lives in the past and I'm like reporting on the past to people in the present. I know nothing about the present inherently like that's not in my nature. And I, even on my podcast, I, if anybody like brings up something like, well, you know, there's this attraction. I'm like, is it defunct? I'm like, no, I'm like, then I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know about it. You know, <laughs> like it's, that is not in my wheelhouse. I have set my boundaries very specifically. So what is a book? What is a parody of a guide written by me? Someone that really isn't as knowledgeable, admittedly on the present of the theme park. Um, and so the, the first draft was called Defunct Land, the unofficial, unauthorized, and um, unresearched guide to the Magic Kingdom. And, oh. <laughs> but then I was like, well, I also want to include history, and I can't put unresearched in the title, title um, because right. that gives a lot. Of that, that, that doesn't sound, that's, that's not something you want to read. Um, and so I was like, fine, let's do Defunct Land, Guide to the Magic Kingdom. And from there, it was originally going to be just a straight parody of guidebooks. But then I was kind of like, well, what is that? How does that end? And so that's where I kind of was like, okay, I need to format this into something else. And so it's still a guidebook. It still does read as a parody. Um, it still does read as there's a lot of jokes. Um, and there's also, but I also make it very clear when I'm telling the truth, I think. Um, yeah, like it's, yeah, definitely. Uh, in, in your opening, you describe the book as not fiction, right? Mm-hmm. Not, not real is your, is your exact description. And that's a fine line to walk, but I think, I think it's clear when we're hearing the fictionalized accounts 
um, and versus the the hard research that kind of uh, feels a bit more defunct land e uh, a, a little bit more like the YouTube series. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm glad that came through. I do mention that in the beginning. I was like, is this book well researched and accurate? Is one of the questions the reader quote unquote asked me. I just refer to the person reading as the reader. Um, it makes it easier because they are a character in the book. Um, and, and which is really hard to write, by the way. Um, <laughs> did you know you're not supposed to write books in second person because it's not easy? Um, <laughs> probably not enough on the read. I remember being but told the, that at some point. <laughs> the, um, but yeah, so I, I kind of say, you're right, I say, um, it's not not real. And I say, if, if I, if this book was to be put in the park, it wouldn't be put in Fantasyland. It wouldn't be put, you know, it'd be put in Adventureland because your vacation should be an adventure. Um, hmm. That's and so that's kind of the the book's message, um, and, and then an extension of that later on. Um, but that's the idea: is there's a clear line. I mean, I don't, I, I the, there's two extremes. It's hard facts and me. <laughs> and so it's like hard facts, my personality, my opinions. And I feel as though there's very few times, unless sometimes my humor is subtle, but it's not so subtle that I'll be like, uh, the, um, what's a good extraterrestrial opened in 1992. And you're like, get it? Cause yeah. it opened in 1995. Like, that's not the joke. Like I, I, all the dates are no. correct. Like it's, it's, it's not that subtle. It's, um, but yeah, so I, uh, and then I just wrote the book and you know, we went, I went through a couple, we went through. I went through a couple drafts. I was lucky enough to work with an amazing team. The amount of people that worked on this book is crazy. Um, Ingram Jenkins did the cover art um, and the chapter That's art. really good. And it is gorgeous, um, in my opinion. Yeah, Ingram is an incredible artist, and they are really good at showing movement. They're good at showing motion. And that's so important for parts of this, because um, everything feels like it's moving. Um and Ingram is actually the sibling of of Heath Jenkins, who's one of the, my main. He's my main team member, and he works on. He edits and helps me work on some videos. He's like Defunct TV is his co creation. Um, but yeah, so I have the entire Jenkins family, and their father is Jim Jenkins, who created Doug what? and a bunch of other <laughs> Disney shows. Oh no um, way! That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, so I have and PB wow. and J Otter and a bunch of other shows like that. Um, yeah, so I've I've I'm slowly <laughs> creeping into the Jenkins family and. Anyway, so I he uh, Ingram is amazing, and then my illustrations, which were you know, Ingram's art is very um, not cartoony; it is cartoonish, but it's very high detailed and um, great. But the more realistic and the more illustration um, is done by Andrew Benny. He's amazing. I've worked with him in the past, and he did some amazing art. I mean, some of these pieces in here. I mean, Sunny Eclipse is gorgeous. Uh, the Timekeeper, just big pieces, and then little ones too. Um, definitely kind of this watercolor style it's really cool thank you yeah I mean it's that Andrew I knew Andrew exactly what he could do and he did such a great job and I I just Mm -hmm. um, and the the illustrations were partly because I was like well I don't want to use pictures I just feel like pictures would be distracting um, and not only that it's also hard to get rights to use them Um, but anyway so yeah I I did that and then my uh, Meredith edited it Um, they're a great book editor and my book designer philip did a great job um and then uh walt dated world i gotta give a shout out to walt dated world allison from walt dated world she was my fact checker um and she was amazing and she put up with all of my uh gripes which that in and of itself was amazing (laughs) um as, as i mentioned in the book right 
Um, I, I think I call her out and, a couple times. And then the I'm like, Allison is. It seems like she did a lot of work. Yeah, and the afterwards <laughs> as well. Also, an acknowledgement. Yeah, um, Allison's so great though, and uh, I just had to. Get, I I ran that by her. I was like, "Hey, I'm gonna throw this in the book," <laughs> and she was like, "Yeah, that's fine." I'm like, "Okay, cool." Um, and so yeah, and so I worked with an amazing team. Um, but yeah, so that's how the book came to be in a very long answer. So. That's uh, basically how the book started, and um, I don't want to get too far. I'm sure I'm hopefully not answering any of our future questions. <laughs> well, not not really, but we have kind of uh, started to broach one of our, our next uh, big questions was uh, there seems to be kind of a tonal shift between uh, Kevin Perger on Defunctland, who's very, uh, how, how do you say, uh, kind of uh, informative and, and very... Uh, uh, professional sounding and and then this kind of wackier more whimsical like kevin perger the guide uh who is in disney world with you and kind of uh kind of shouting things about the place it feels very kinetic <laughs> like we're kind of chasing you um mm-hmm. and I, I wanted to know even what, though what? It's clear that i'm not there <laughs> i'm like right even I'm, though, even I'm, though you're you're in a camera and microphone in the book um right so don't look for them they're really tiny (laughs) um but you know like could you explain a little bit about like what made you want to change tones here and uh why do you think this works uh the way that it does well i would say that i mean kevin is me um, right. I'm going to talk about myself in third person, so get ready for a lot of uh, arrogance, um, no, the, uh, a lot of self fulfillment here. <laughs> Kevin is a genius. No, the um, so essentially on the show, I started out I was funny, um, <laughs> like I I wasn't I when I say funny I mean I wasn't serious. Doesn't mean the jokes were quality, um, but they were humorous. So the first season of Defunct Land is a clear. Is it, is, the tones are very different. If you mm-hmm. you can tell exactly when season one ends and exactly where season two starts, um, because I have the captions, and the captions are me screaming through the professionalism, um, because there is a certain level of professionalism that you have to have when you're making mini documentaries, um, and that's really difficult. And I say that not because I'm good at it, but because I'm bad at it. Um, <laughs> Getting tone took a long time for me. Um, deciding when to be, um, what's the word, non-biased, when to be, uh, when to not put my opinions in it, that's really difficult. Um, for example, I just did an episode on Nick, Stu- Nick Hotel, the Nickelodeon Hotel. I make it very clear my opinion on that. <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's a dirty Holiday Inn that they slap SpongeBob on. Oh. Like, um, it is. And mm-hmm. But if you go to Disney's America... I don't give my opinion on that. I I give commentary. I give contextualized, historical, and you know, based on other authors and historians' perspectives, commentary. Um, and that's because it's a different wheelhouse. I mean, Disney's America is this you know pinnacle moment for the Walt Disney Company, and this and really a pinnacle moment for the United States of deciding what do we preserve, what do we not. It's like there's so many serious things about it versus. There's this Holiday Inn that they just, they, they stuck Spongebob on, and then they turned <laughs> the water green. Like, that is, those are two very different video topics. Um, but the, during the Disney's America episode, it's 35 minutes long. I don't recommend it. The, <laughs> no, I'm just, uh, but it's so long that you have no idea how many times I wanted to just be like, 
this is dumb or, you know, like say like anything I bring up being like, that is a dumb argument. Um, but the only, I can only get a little bit so snarky. So the point I'm trying to get at is like me as a character, as a person, I guess I am a character cause I'm the host of this thing. Um, it's there. If you go back and watch the book is as if the caption, like while the professional host, Kevin was making season two of defunct land, the captions from season one went and okay. wrote a book. Um, <laughs> So I that's kind of that's kind, that's kind of the idea, and the podcast is I'm like this. I mean, I'm talking as if I like my the book like in on my podcast when I appear on podcasts when I'm speaking when I'm on Twitter I'm basically the same as the book, right? The only time I'm like okay I need to get serious is because that's just what I have to do for the episodes, but it's also an internal conflict in me to scream out. So the book is like an outlet of that. Like from the moment you read that first page, it's clear that I'm, I'm the same person, but I like I have no like chains on me kind of thing. Like, no, I'm not handcuffed to any specific medium. I'm not handcuffed to like, I can say whatever I want. And cause I'm controlling the pace. There's no bigger story that existed. Like there's a story, but it's not one that I have to follow that existed in real life. Like with my documentaries. Right. So because I'm controlling that narrative, it, it's just like, it's a free for all. So yeah, it's like, it's peak me. And definitely, definitely. We, we found it to be a really, uh, a personable way to go about like uh being not dragged through the park but yeah, but it, taken through the park i think shown around the park i think dragged drag is, is fine good. i think dragged is <laughs> Dra- yeah drag through the, drag through the park or, or or being guided through the park which made it felt really it made it feel really uh personal and and, and like like you the reader are there with you or at least have you like as a as a angel devil over our shoulder telling us what to do as you walk through and that that um relationship to the reader <laughs> is really it's really important it's uh, like you like you said you you spend time in the, in the second person every once in a while but that it informs a lot of the the narrative of the book it's kind of like how you how you frame the story and it's a huge part of the conclusion which we'll get to later um uh, like what was the thinking and and like why did you decide to make your narration so so personal it, it, like using using the second person and and i you you touched on this a little bit but where where did um where did that come from this uh like rather than just a history book with yeah. some with some funny commentary here and there um why jokes uh why a personal walkthrough complete with fast pass times and and the whole thing why why that um yeah it's uh it was one of those things where that was i had to find that um i actually wrote the introduction i wrote this book in order which you're not supposed to do if you listen i mean any i i i've i read all the stuff on writers and their writing process because i i consider myself a writer um not to the extent of you know some very professional writers and i listen to the process and you're supposed to write uh, the ending first, a lot of times you're supposed to write, you know, but I wrote the introduction first because I, I was on a plane coming home from, I think it was like a family get together, maybe Thanksgiving. And I was on the plane and I was sick to my stomach for some reason. I don't remember. I just remember this, but I was pushing through and I just wrote the entire introduction and then I showed it to my roommate when I got home and I was like, look at this. And, um, I mean, he, he laughed at a few parts and I was like, okay, this is good. And, you know, I edited it, but that, I, from the start, it was always kind of, there was a short time where I was like, hmm, should I do a straight history book? And I thought, why would I do that? Like, what, what can I bring to the table that anyone else can't? There's, there's no reason 
that I should think myself smarter, uh, more educated, um, more authoritative to to explain to people the history of the parks um, because I'm not the most qualified. There are actual Disney historians like Dave Smith from D23 and actual Disney historian, like literally from the Walt Disney Company. Um, even Jim Hill knows, you know, everything, um, all these wonderful Disney historians. Um, so I'm like, what can I bring to the table? And that is me. I can bring me. I can give you my opinion. And, you know, from the start, it was another another, you know, it is fast paced. It's it's a it's a quick read. I, I I've been told it's like, you know, I've had people read it anywhere from, I think, uh, like an hour and a half to like three, four hours um, in one sitting. Yeah, um, it took me about I don't know if that was your experience today. Yeah. Yeah. Something similar. Yeah. The, uh, that's about the, the average. Um, and I didn't, you know, I could, and it is fast paced in that <laughs> I'm, I am dragging you through the park. It's not, Hey, let's sit down and let's really talk about all the hidden Mickey's because this is not what I wanted it to be. <laughs> I, there are other, there are other people that can do that better than me. I can, I do not want to tell you all of the, the hidden messages on Pirates of the Caribbean, all the little, you know, hidden trivia facts. I only talk about the ones that are dealing with defunct rides. I don't I don't talk about like, oh, on Space Mountain, if you look here, that means this. It's an it's a reference to an Imagineer. No, I don't I just want to talk about the defunct rides, and then I'm also had this other, you know, big ulterior motive. Um but to make myself so present, I think was important because I when I write anything, there's characters involved. Characters are everything. They characters make and break a story. They make I think a lot of failings of a lot of documentaries. Um, in general, and the reason they don't capture audiences' attention in the way that they should is because characters, and, and this is narrative documentaries, characters aren't uh, persistent throughout. Um, Ken Burns, who I admire, although I can't really, I don't love watching his stuff, but he's a great documentarian. I just am not interested necessarily in the history he's telling mm-hmm. um, for 13 hours. Um, but he uh, he really drives home characters, reoccurring characters. And in my documentary series, um, you have to, I, a lot of times, you know, with like Nick Hotel, I had to make SpongeBob a character in the story. You know, I, I start off and I'm like, hey, this is what happened with SpongeBob. Like the first thing I say is in 1998, SpongeBob premiered. It, he changed everything. And so SpongeBob did this. And then you also have the hotel itself and you have Holiday Inn and Nickelodeon. And you can build characters out of these entities. It's a lot easier when Michael Eisner's involved because he's actually a person. Um, but it's, it's just one of those things that, I have to, you know, build all these characters. Um, and so to make my, to, when I was writing the book, I was like, well, who's the character? Is, is the Magic Kingdom a character? I'm like, no, that's too deep. And I think that's stupid. And I'm probably just spitballing. Um, and then I'm like, no, that, that doesn't make sense. Um, the idea of the like theme parks in general, um, is a more of an, is a more of a theme rather than a character. So I was like, who are the characters? I'm a character. Okay. The reader's a character. That's fine. And then you run into other characters throughout and, I also kind of build, and they're never really referenced until the end. <laughs> um, spoiler, I guess. Um, <laughs> but the, the you like through the art throughout, it's very obvious. You have the characters from the attractions following you. You know, um, yeah. This this sense of kind of gathering up these defunct uh, attraction stars uh, and and kind of bringing them along for the ride uh, was really cool and well communicated through the art. I thought. Yeah, thank you. I mean, that, a lot of that credit goes to Ingram. The uh, And so that is, that's kind of what I want. I was like, well, the main characters have to be me and the reader. And so then the reader can't talk back. And that's really difficult. Um, and so you have, I, I know I would plant seeds 
you know, I would say something like, um, an example is, uh, what's it? Oh, so here's a good seed, and this is not a spoiler. I say, and they're going to replace it with that Wally, uh, Wally so uh, simulator that they've simulator. been talking about, or no, up themed mm-hmm. simulator in the carousel project. simulator, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. And then I literally, and then I say, and so that's a seed because your immediate thought should be, I've never heard of that. Are they but doing you really that? And then I say, for a I just made that, that up. It might be real. So like, I have to plant <laughs> these. Yeah, but you really thought for a second. And so it's really like, do you get what I'm trying to do? It's like I'm hitting you in the face with a shovel and the shovel is my ideas. I'm like, do you get it? It's very blatant, but it's the idea of I have to, you know, every once in a while plant seeds to make the reader feel as though I'm responding to them in some way. Um, and so that kind of thing was difficult. But yeah, so mm-hmm. I guess to answer the question in a long-winded way, sorry. Um, it's uh, to, to make myself present was just needed to give another character um, to the book. You know, so we've we've talked a little bit about uh, kind of the process, the, the being a writer, the choice of voice. But now I'd like to kind of jump into the content a little bit, uh, because this is a guide for a singular day at the Magic Kingdom. Uh, one day. And the, the more I was reading it, the more I was thinking to myself, this may or may not be a good daily schedule at the Magic Kingdom. And I wasn't not being particularly well versed with, with that park myself. Uh, Alice and I are, are California natives. Disneyland is our jam. Uh, she has just been to the Magic Kingdom. Um, yeah, I was there in May. But- but, you know, it's not really my jam. Uh, would you follow this schedule? Is it your ideal day at the Magic Kingdom? Maybe uh, setting aside some of the more uh, not fictional, but less real suggestions. Yes and no. Um, well, it's my personal day. I mean, I I say in there are things like, uh, let's not ride Big Thunder, because why would we? Um, because <laughs> Disneyland's version is awesome. And if you've ridden Disneyland's and you don't want to ride magic kingdoms, um, because it, I mean, just stuff like that, uh, that is what I literally do at the parks. You know, I'm not, it's not, I'm not, you know, making it up to, you know, make myself some sort of character. This is truly my voice in a lot of ways. Um, you can literally do this to a point, but you can literally do the, <laughs> you can don't do everything you can you can do it up to a point um it's so specific at that your day is planned out it, i mean i don't want to spoil too much we can get into this in spoilers but there is a there is an outline like i didn't just like i wasn't just throwing out times there is the traction ride time it gets so specific at times where i say when you go to the enchanted tiki room leave after the first song and that's allotted for on the ske- the master schedule i made Oh, wow. like <laughs> if you if you want to follow the schedule, you have to leave the tiki room early. That kind of thing. Um, yes, and, uh, fake sick or uh, or bribe. Yes, bribe the, the cast, cast member. member. Uh, yeah, fake, I, I fake believe you can call. just stand up and go. Okay, well, they won't stop you from leaving, but uh, well, but I, generally I, you get glared at. You got to do some things you don't want to do sometimes at Disneyland, like <laughs> right. <the canoes. laughs> Yes, that's a major theme of the book. Um, yeah. You're not going to like this, but so, hey. In, in the book, you don't do anything you don't want to do. Um, and that is that is really important to me, I think, in, in making it uh, feel like a, a real guide, right? Skip Big Thunder Mountain. Uh, skip, well, I, I can't recall. Do you suggest skipping Stitch's Great Escape or suffering through it because of its significance? the the latter you definitely i tell you to suffer through it and that is a like 
10 minute 15 minute grace period i give or i don't know how long it is like it's it's in the schedule of like a maybe stop there because it's gonna reopen according to reports for a very brief time during the whole debacle of tron light cycles Um, wow so the, and so, but but I also that's another thing I have to put future proof into the book. So a lot of times I'll be like, even though I'm supposed to be talking to you live, which I am, I write the book different for every person that reads it. I truly do. Right. Um, <laughs> don't 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 get a copy with a friend and then share it with each other because I mean, my copy. Wait, then the book won't work. Right. Yeah, exactly. The book won't work, and definitely don't drop it in water because you'll short circuit the microphone and the camera. Um, right. But the but I do write future proof <laughs> phrases such as like. Star Wars lands opening soon, so this whole thing about how Hollywood Studios is abandoned doesn't make too much sense. And then, uh, and I'm like, and I'm like, you know, uh, there's no way Wonders of Life is going to be around forever. So blah blah blah, you know. And, and so, and then I talk about, you know, with Stitches Great Escape. I'm like, if it's already closed by the time you go, I apologize. But if it is, write it. So that yes, and but the uh, the schedule is is real. You can do it. I've done it, and um, it's you're you're running around, but that's what I promised you in the beginning it's like i'm gonna show right, you an, an adventure uh yes, exactly. and when you when you were writing the book did you go and do this day um to a point yeah i did um i had to make sure right <laughs> that uh that i did that I, that I wasn't you know making everything up um i i as did far as like I, how long it takes to get from one part of the park to the other and that and that i did not do your... oh okay um that is that was just it, it, I just, you know, I calculated in my head. Like, I just I was like, okay, if if you need to get from the Carousel Progress to Space Mountain, I'm going to give you three minutes. Like, like, and so it, it, there's a little bit of leeway there. You know, there's a, there's a bathroom break in there. If you need one. Just I I I don't talk during that because I felt like that would be rude. <laughs> just right. be like, all right, go to the bathroom. I know you need to relieve yourself. Just okay. Point the can't point the book away. I can see everything. Um, <laughs> the, uh, it's a very no, good but camera. I, it's a very tiny but if it's not hd um yeah so no but the, the schedule is real to answer your question it's a you can do it um it's to a point excellent <laughs> um so so about about the dole whip because i've got to ask speaking of things you don't want to do uh <laughs> yeah it's things you don't do want to do you really dislike dole whip that much yeah yeah, it's really? not good. <laughs> it's, uh, it's pineapple. What do you want me to like? Are, I'm, you, are you against pineapple as a general whole, or just yeah. about pineapple combined with vanilla ice cream? Well, you don't. Oh, is well, that what I it don't. Is? I don't like pineapple <laughs> okay, mixed. That's fair. mixed, but but it's American vanilla. You know, I, I say in I say in the book that uh, yeah, like like every great American product, it was invented in China, and it was like <laughs> it was made in China, and so it was made before you know before. BC, it was like 400 BC before Jesus came, so we could perfect it. God gave us ice cream. Yeah, so it's I, I, I go on this big rant, right, where I bring in right. <laughs> that's in the acknowledgments. If you actually look, I, was, like, I, I actually like it's funny. Like I said, like in the acknowledgments of the book, I'm like, look, I everything in this book was checked over a thousand sites, and you know, Allison helped a lot with making sure the dates were correct, and so I list all of the sites that I used, and I probably missed out on a few. But then at the very end, I'm like, oh, by the way, here's some really specific sources. And one of them, if you read, it's like the history of ice cream. Um, oh, I can see get, that. Just to get this correct. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's not good because it's mm-hmm. pineapple. The only thing you can do with pineapple is a pina colada. And even then, I'm like, this is too much pineapple. 
<laughs> oh man see i don't know i'm gonna have to genuinely disagree we over here on the west coast we love our pineapple that yeah, and, and, your, and, and that and your avocados you can you can oh, you can take i had an avocado for lunch today <laughs> if they made an avocado whip i would probably have it. to yeah i'd probably have to eat it and like it might not even be good but i'd have but to like out of, a, out of a out of a point of personal state pride i think is be um, <laughs> yeah but, but yeah whip is so funny it's symbolic it's it's a uh, attraction unto itself people line up around the corner at our adventure land um and and to to have it so eviscerated along with as you said like uh hollywood studios as abandoned and uh stitch's great escape as objectively terrible um, pirates, calls, of the, pirates of the I caribbean will... you call an absolute travesty <laughs> yeah i i, I do write really well thank you these opinions are perfect is that what we're getting at is that is that where we're going with this is that like you're, it's like that uh that uh eric andre gif jeff or gif or whatever where he's like why could how could you say something so brave yet so <laughs> yes it's something so controversial yet so brave so brave yeah why are you yelling uh, at me i'm right uh, <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. why are you uh, booing me i'm right <laughs> exactly uh so so these these really are just uh these these are commonly held opinions i would say a lot of people do feel this way maybe not about the dole whip um but you know hollywood studios and, and pirates and stitches creative state escape i have heard from many people that it is objectively terrible we were just wondering like a little bit about like how did you how did you balance that because the the book never slips into uh negative nagging you know it, it never really gets to that point um where where it feels um over the top but it definitely felt like you were like all right i, I just gotta say it there are things here that suck and here are some of them uh so what was your approach well whenever i do defunct land it, even the dumbest stuff like the nickelodeon hotel <laughs> the nickelodeon hotel is taking a lot of punches um it's really taking a beating today yeah oh, well it's close so what are you gonna sound like they're gonna call me um with the nickelodeon hotel for example i it's it's wrong to say this is objectively terrible in every single way except for superstar limo that's the one exception superstar limo Agreed. is the pinnacle there's nothing redeemable about this except for the original idea like that is it true um true. and so the, the, with everything there's that gray area and this is touched on later um and so the idea when i'm the the negative opinions are honest and i think that as long as it's honest um we live in a culture um if you, if you want me to go on a rant about the culture yeah we live in a culture where negativity is applauded negativity is fun and funny and look i love watching youtube movie reviews of really bad movies and just hearing them not nitpick like some channels do, but just like really in-depth commentary on really stupid movies. Um, but that only works to a point because you, and, and a lot of channels, if you look at them, I don't want to call anyone out specifically, this is really happening with, happening with movie criticism, is they're taking a really deep look at themselves and saying, what do we like? You know, what what is it, if we don't, if we hate everything, then what do we actually like? And if we cannot give some sort of leeway or give credit or give you know a good examples what are we you know if 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 there if our scale is so far in the negative then that's not honest that's not accurate if if your scale goes from negative 3 to negative 10 and you don't have anything for positive i mean that's just not 
that's not real. But at the same time, we also have in the internet culture of reviewing movies, reviewing, and I treat theme parks on the same level as movies, music, as any other art. Um, and there's there's a huge industry for criticism of art right now, which is good in a lot of ways, but also negative. And there's a lot of websites and a lot of things out there for movies and all sorts, even theme parks, where it's we can't say anything negative. And that is okay as long as you admit that. I, you know what I'm trying to say? It's just you can't. You, I try to be a centrist in this in that I will be super negative about certain experiences, but I'm also going to praise the heck out of certain experiences. And every time I'm negative about something, besides really dull, but that was, you know, whatever. The, uh, I'm really positive about something. The re- I say the reason I hate this so much is because this is so great. I hate Pirates of the Caribbean because the one in Disneyland is so great. I hate Stitch's Great Escape because Extraterrestrial is so great. Like, there's always this other thing. You know what I mean? It's not just like, this doesn't make sense. You know, how can an alien come to Earth? You know, I'm not nitpicking, sure. if that makes sense. Like, that right. doesn't... There, Aliens don't come to Earth. Like, the, you know, aliens don't play the piano, Sunny Eclipse. <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. Like, I'm not nitpicking, but it, it is my strong opinion. And so... To to be that centrist kind of is it was it was a struggle and you know certain like Dole Whip probably was a little that harsh was on very, Dole Whip. Very funny. I'm not perfect, I, <laughs> but it was but it was part of it and I and I was super pro American vanilla the vanilla ice cream I was 100 percent but you add pineapple you <laughs> lost me. Um, mm-hmm. And so so yeah the the negative tone was not meant to be a come read my book I I uh, I crap on all these experiences and rides but i'm also not come read my book where i'm gonna be super dishonest where i'm positive about everything it was just it's just natural again it's just who who i am as a as a host as a you know as a pseudo character online it's just you know i'm you can i don't want to i don't think i've i've been called i sh, i've been called a disney shill a few times but i'm pretty honest about my gripes with every theme park company cedar fair more than others but <laughs> but that's for another day Right. Yes, that's my answer. I, I, I try. It's it's a centrist thing. Yeah, I think I think honesty is is really important in uh, commentary of any art, and to not focus on just the negatives, I think, is really important. Uh, speaking of one thing that we we saw as a criticism that maybe you meant more as a joke, but that Alice and I think might actually work. Um, Alice, do you want to do you yeah, want to pitch so this to Kevin? A lot about unionizing the Peter Pan's flight line. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, this is one of my this is my big uh, suggestion. This is not really a spoiler, but this so is like my genius, genius idea. idea is uh combating the uh problem with the fast pass line uh always getting priority over the regular line is by telling the cast member that you're a party of like 50 or whatever and clearing yeah, tw- sure. 10 or 12. You got to be realistic. Clearing the clearing the line faster because they'll see entire parties at once which i genuinely Mm -hmm. think could work i really think you could do it i think you could (laughs) talk to the families before like above you and below you in line and really like like get them in on it and have them pass it up you know I, i think it could work like a couple of times before they caught on and fixed it. I think that could uh, inspire real change in the line because that line is so long. <laughs> it's so 
It doesn't matter which park you're at. It's the worst in both parks, consistently at an hour, and, and it doesn't make any no, sense it's for a dark cute, ride. Right? It's it's in my um, opinion, in our opinion, we have a whole episode on on fantasy dark ride, Fantasyland dark rides. Uh, we decided that it is the best of them. It's the it's the 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 best of of like the big um, fantasy dark rides in 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 Fantasylands, but. Is it worth waiting over an hour? Like, I don't, I don't think so. Right. And I, I do, and I don't mention this in the book because, I mean, I think I would contradict it multiple times, but my thing is a one-tenth rule. I do a one-tenth rule or times it by 10. So however long the ride length is, times that by 10. And that's about how long I can realistically want to wait in line. It doesn't work with the extremes like Disneyland's Pirates of the Caribbean. Of course, I'm not going to wait 170 (laughs) minutes for that. Um, but like Splash Mountain, I will wait an hour, an hour 20, because it's 10 minutes long. It is a long experience. It's not just you, you go around. I will wait 30 minutes for Peter Pan's flight because it's like two and a half minutes. But anything above that, I'm like, Mm-mm, not today, not today. So, yeah, I, uh, That's a good rule it's, of it's, yeah, it's about times it times the ride length, times the, uh, the actual ride experience by about 10, give or take. And that's probably if it's way over that, you probably should just yeah, leave it. it, it that, that would I, I was just thinking about uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Our Pirates of the Caribbean in, in California is what, like 12 minutes long. Some, some nonsense like that. It's like the longest ride ever. Yeah, right. Um, but the line moves super quick. They've got that that loading it's that, it's that good really, capacity, really, man. Really I love Pirates of the Caribbean's capacity. So it's um yeah because because you don't have to pull down on lap bars and you can just throw people yeah, in and, and you just can, have you them can go. Fit so like many in the boat. So I mean, I would I would probably wait over an hour for, for Pirates of the Caribbean, but I rarely have to because that line moves so fast. <laughs> right, exactly, and, that, and, and yeah, absolutely, and that's one of those things. I was like, yeah, I would wait because the experience at the end is worth it. And it's even even like hearing people waiting for Aladdin musical spectacular when I was in DCA or now Frozen, which I wouldn't wait for. You can pay me to wait for that. Um, but it's just a, uh, it's like yeah, you know that's a long experience. Yeah, I can wait an hour to get in, get a good seat, be in the air conditioning for thirty minutes. I think that's worth it. You know, it's it cuts into your day, sure, but you know it's not worth it. <laughs> Peter Pan's flight, man, it's not worth Unionize. it. Just not worth it. <laughs> Unionize the line. So bringing it back around to let's make this an episode of uh, those happy places. And we want to involve you in our uh, in our conversation here. What we like to do is talk about uh, what the theme parks, rides, attractions, uh, lands, uh, how they tell stories and what uh, what aspects of theme parks uh, are worth analyzing as if they were narratives and stories to tell. So I want to ask you as someone who has done a lot of research and a lot of work into um uh into the theme park world uh what land or attraction i guess we'll, we'll stick to the magic kingdom because that's where your book is focused on too which uh, which land or attraction do you feel like has the best story to tell not just narratively like a like beginning middle end story being told in like a dark ride for example but uh, a lander attraction that has a story to tell the audience, like historically or culturally, something like that. Do you? So do you, you mean? Do you mean that? the land itself, or just the history and the the creation behind it? I think I mean the land itself. Okay. Like if so you were like... in in the land, say you were in Adventureland and you're looking around, 
what story what, what, does that yeah. tell and which one of those lands do you think does the best job of telling that story um well this is a very ideal idealistic uh question in that it should tell you a story and it doesn't yes. um so like i i this is great um this is exactly in my wheelhouse but the answer is none um no the answer <laughs> so adventureland let's cross that off the board immediately um adventureland makes you feel hot as heck because you're in orlando and even if walking through animal kingdom is just like oh my gosh i really feel the heat right now because it's like it's with the heat is adding to the theming um yes but, but adventureland just as a as a thing in of itself adventure I, I just remember reading a bunch on how, what is an adventure land and it just ended up being kind of a like South America, you know, African kind of um, just a mix of all of these kind of a uh, um, jungle esque uh, ports, just those kind of things. It's just it's a mix. It's a mixture of things. It's a mesh because what do you do after? I mean, adventure is something that appears in all of the other ones. And so adventure land, what do we put there? Um, so Adventureland has always been, I, I don't think you could say that's the best one just because the exact, the entire existence of it has, they just kind of threw something at it, right? It's like, okay, well, then adventure in the eyes of the Magic Kingdom and in Disneyland is this. It is trees and it's jungle and it's all, you know, that's what it's going to be. Um, I would say that the most compelling land will always be Tomorrowland. Tomorrowland by its own nature will always be the most compelling and the most the it always has the most to say because it's not predicting the future one of my favorite movie talks i've ever listened to i i've had the pleasure of seeing bob gale from back to the future live um for back like to see him live there was not a like back to the future live movie um I back to the future was seen that. yes of course <laughs> um I saw him live and he was talking about back to the future and he said, and so someone asked him, so do you know, you do you pitch this to Disney and Disney didn't take it. Um, but if they did, uh, would it be in Tomorrowland or would it be in Adventureland? Or where do you think it would be? And, and his answer was like, uh, I don't think about that because it didn't happen. And so, mm. <laughs> he's old now, mm -hmm. uh, but the, the, but he did talk about his idea of we were never trying to predict the future. And um, we, we didn't want to guess where technology was going. And that's all also what Tomorrowland is in my, or what it should be. The, the least compelling Tomorrowland has been was when it opened in 1955 in Disneyland. Um, the Monsanto Hollow chem chemistry. Um, really <laughs> compelling stuff there, Monsanto. Um, Monsanto, <laughs> whatever. Uh, tell me about your chemicals. I say in one of my, I think I did Disneyland top 10. I said that's about as, uh, that that aged as well as an exhibit called the magic of lobotomies would have. Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> it's just, uh, and so that's the least compelling. The most compelling is Epcot and that version of tomorrow. And that we got for just a brief glimpse of just, you know, not the big alien one, but you know, with space mountain and the people mover. Right. Um, and these kind of, this idea of, you know, this, we're not predicting, we're trying to both lead the way. And it's, a, it's really a reflection of what we think tomorrow is right now. And that's so interesting because there's so many layers to that, right? It's, it's not just, here's what we think tomorrow's going to be. That's not what it's supposed to be. It's here in our current period. This is what our society and our culture imagines tomorrow as. And that is just, I mean, that, 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 that plays to 
what kind of hope is in the culture right now? Like if, oh my gosh, if you made a Tomorrowland, if you just started over right now, it would be like, oh, trash. It would be Wally. It would be trash is piled up into skyscrapers. <laughs> like everything uh-huh. is done, right? But if you would have made it in more, maybe a more hopeful time, you know, more where we were more looking forward to the future, then it would be maybe the paper white version. It would be a, a utopia. And I think, I think that's just, that's my most, com- that's the most compelling thing for me is Tomorrowland. Uh, Magic Kingdom does a terrible job of it, uh, but what? Uh, what are you going to do? Okay, uh, some some would say that uh, now with the the focus on um, kind of Tomorrowland at Disneyland at least is is thrill rides and Autopia for some reason. Um, yeah, I don't know what and, that's about. Oh, and and also the the Finding Nemo submarine, uh, and and also Star Wars, which we're going to have an entire land for. It seems to have kind of lost that flavor. Um, the the uh purpose of uh showing and leading and uh explaining maybe a little bit about things that might be new or uh scary or maybe exciting uh it hasn't really been that way and not not for many many years um so to kind of hope for a new tomorrow land is maybe almost a hope for like a new tomorrow as well uh which i think is interesting um since we don't really have that right now, we have uh, retro futurism and Star Wars as well. <laughs> it, it might as well just be called Spaceland instead of Tomorrowland. It's just and yeah, that's absolutely like I've actually thought that would be better. To call it Spaceland, I mean, it wouldn't be. I mean, it'd be objectively worse, but it would be <laughs> it would be better than what it is now called Tomorrowland. You know what I mean? I mean, I was in when I went to Disneyland's Tomorrowland, and I'm I'm I go to Magic Kingdom more. Um. So I, when I was in Disneyland's Tomorrowland, I was like, oh, can I go back to Magic Kingdom? Because at least the people movers moving and everything's the same color and, um, for the most part, or it transitions. So, Kevin, you are a preservationist, I would say. Like, if, if I were to uh, put a label on the media that you're producing... Uh, it's about preserving things of the past. I mean, kind of, kind of a historian as well, but I think you're, you're more interested in, uh, you know, kind of showing off things that, that would otherwise fade from existence. Uh, so we've got the YouTube Defunct Land show. Uh, we've also got this book, Defunct Land Guide to the Magic Kingdom, and we've got the podcast, but I'm really interested in, the defunct land VR experiences that you've been working on. Um, so would you like to talk a little bit about that and what drives you to preserve these histories and maybe some of the challenges uh, that you're facing in doing so and what you hope for the future of preservation? Because the one thing that, that I know about theme park rides is once they're gone, you just can't ride them anymore. They're gone. Um, and yeah. that's part of what's so tragic about it. Yeah, it's a uh, it's very unfortunate, and that's a large part of the book. Um, it's, this is it. That's you can never experience this again. It's the only art medium, well, not only, but there's very few art mediums. I mean, you can always rewatch a movie, you can always listen to music, you can always replay something, but you can't ever ride these the way they are because of the scale. Um, 
so I'm just going to get VR out of the way first. VR is something we've been working on for a while. The progress is not, it doesn't go very fast when you're doing something for free. Um, you know, we're working on 20,000 leagues. I've been pretty open about that. We're just trying to get the first four minutes done. And if you think about how many animatronics there are, that's so many modelers that we're just, you know, giving them either free time and programming the stuff. Are we ever going to see a full defunct land? I'd like to think so, but probably not. Um, because we're not going to sell it. It's too many legal issues. So many things, you know, right. Um, but just for the purpose of preserving as a proof of concept of maybe VR, we're, we're testing the water to see, could VR preserve these things? And the answer is probably no, because that's not what they were meant to be seen in. Um, but if it does enough. And so what I try to do with the, the YouTube series is I, it's not just preserving. It's about bringing closure to a ride. I, I want the the video is a like it can either be a very you know depressing experience or it can be a very soothing experience because it brings closure to the ride. Um, it's not just oh that's all I I guess it's gone forever. It's here's who created it. Here's how it was made. Here's the process. Here's what the ride was like. That's the preserving part. Is the middle part where I talk about here's what it was like to ride the ride. Here's what it was like to uh, to go to this part of the park. Here's what, a, here's what a Nick hotel room looked like. Terrible. Um, <laughs> you have all of these um, different different ideas um, that you have, all these things surrounding the ride. And I, I want to take those and compact them. So again, VR is like, that's probably all I'm going to say on VR. It's, it's just a, it's a proof of concept of does it work? And maybe it will. We're still working. We'll see, we're working out kinks. We'll see if maybe that will be the big thing. But as far as the videos go, I try to bring closure to people by saying, yes, this experience is gone, but as long as we all watch this video, it won't be forgotten. And then in a way, it'll always be here in, in, a, in a very you know sad, not real way, but in a at least we can all come together, agree that this existed, learn about it. And then we can, you know, move on to the next thing that we can remember and agree. And, you know, then we can keep going. And we, if we hit all of the stops, which is something the, the book does, we hit all the stops then we preserved the idea behind them. We can, I, I, the, I, the intention of the Imagineers will be preserved. The, their product can never be, but their intention and their story and their idea can. So that's kind of the line that that's kind of, we have to work our way into preserving, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, the, the cool thing about Disney especially is kind of its obsession with its own history um and and that there are references to past attractions um or even uh references to what used to be a parking lot in the case of Indiana Jones at uh California's Adventureland um and that's that's kind of the the neat thing about it is that it it does seem a little concerned with preserving these things that must go away eventually um but then again with like other theme parks they're priorities might be different they might just slap a coat of paint on it and be like it was never a top gun ride it's always been uh this just normal american fighter jet ride so come on in spend your money guys like it it does seem like there are things um that are lost and not preserved that nobody is looking out for there there might not be any historians of these smaller parks um and especially I do with, visit the smaller parks in the series. Yeah, exactly. So one of, one of the things with yeah. Defunctland that I've learned about is that certain parks have 
even existed. Um, and another thing is, is that some of them, some of them had really innovative ride designs. Um, but you know, when you're looking for resources for preserving these things or for making a mini doc about them, uh, where do you start? Like, where do you, where do you even begin to look for things that disappeared, things that are, were literally imploded, wiped off the face of the earth? The internet is a terrible thing, but it is in a lot of ways, but it's also an amazing thing in a lot of ways because it is a committee. It is a brain trust. I know. I think that's the right word. You know, it's a, it is this, I, it's this, this wonderful community of people. I mean, everyone almost is on the internet. Hmm. Um, and so they've, and if someone really passionate about something, they remember something, they'll talk about it. Message boards. That's first place almost always that I'll go to um, if for the regional parks, I should say um, message boards is because those histories really aren't told. So you have to, you have to tap into the collective memories of people. And the, and the thing with the funk land is the historical accuracy of the series is always is never the priority. It is important and it's critical. And I never want to get anything wrong. Everything in there. I'm never going to make anything up. I'm never going to lie. But the, the, the experience is always first. And when I say I don't prioritize historical accuracy, I'm not going to lecture you. I'm not going to tell you how long each piece of this roller coaster track is. We're not going to get super, super, super technical. I might tell you how tall it is if it's a coaster, but the the historical exact technical specifics of every single thing that happened, it will never over will never top story. And if you can create a story based off of people's collective memories, then you have preserved that. You've taken these little seeds that people have thrown out over the Internet and you've now, you know, mashed them together and created something that this is like, this is what is we remember. And then that is something everyone can flock to, add their own memories to. And then it's like a snowball effect. You now have something that will not be forgotten as long as, you know, the series, the, the series still exists. And I'm not saying that what I do is like, hey, once it's a defunct line episode, it's in set in stone forever. It's more <laughs> of I have I have a community of people and they're amazing and they they remember things. Luckily, um, it would be very bad if nobody remembered any of these things. I would not have an audience. Um, but you have these people come together. And once I do an episode on it, I give people, you know, it's it's like a big tower saying, like, come here. It's like a it's like a what do they call those tower? A light tower. <laughs> yeah. uh, the towers <laughs> by the ocean. The um. It's like, everyone, come on, let's come remember this together. Uh, let's let's solidify this experience. And so that's that's kind of what you have to do, especially with those regional parks uh, like Astroworld. You got to tap into some deep message boards and deep, uh, deep conversation. I've gone so far as to to go on Facebook and like people's <laughs> old posts. Like, does anybody remember this ride? And I'm just kind of like stalking their page. Like, I do, but I can't respond because it'd be weird because you posted this <laughs> six years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah that kind of thing so so i guess it's kind of more about, newspapers um, my bad News, newspapers oh, yeah. <laughs> i also use a huge newspaper archive and newspapers are amazing but i can go don't get me started on newspapers <laughs> but yeah sorry God. so it's kind of more more about uh validating experiences which is so funny because um theme parks as and and their rides as permanent as as they may seem as permanent fixtures as they may seem um, are almost always being changed slightly, updated a little, uh, moved three inches to the left, uh, and 
for some people that can be really unsettling when they get on a ride that has changed or received a facelift. Um, that like that nothing is quite where it was. Um, and it can feel very invalidating because nobody's ever like, ah, yes, uh, ride the old version and then ride the new version and compare. And, and a lot of, a lot of footage gets lost. Uh, if it happened before a certain time, I don't feel like there's a lot of good quality video of these things. Um, and, and that's a huge challenge, I think, for somebody wanting to preserve a theme park, right? Yeah. I mean, the best example, the best comparison is the original Star Wars movies. Mm-hmm. Those George Lucas was like, all right, let's screw them up. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, special editions in the late 90s, I believe. Um, yeah, special editions. Um, he added a bunch of CGI. He he made he added scenes. He added characters and dance numbers and made Han shoot in seconds. And, you know, it's he he basically destroyed these movies he made. And not only did he destroy them, he was like, all right, now let me try to erase their existence. You know, I mean, it's impossible to find the original, like nearly impossible to find the original movies. The National Archives as the National Film Registry. It's like, hey, we want to add Star Wars to the, like to the you know most important movies of all time or whatever. And he's he's like, can you send us the tapes? He sent them the special editions, and they're like, no, we want the original. He's like, I burned them. Like, you know, oh, wow. like we messed <laughs> we we messed them up. We 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 altered them when we were making the special editions. This is all we have. So the point is, if you look online, because Star Wars is such a big thing, people lose their minds over this. I do that. Like, you made three movies, mess them up, and we can never see HD versions of them again because you wanted to add giant things in front of the screen. It's the same thing with theme park rides. It's just, you know, smaller niche community and all that same permanence is there. But with most movies, like if you, you know, mess with a little bit, you, you do an extended cut, you do a director's cut. You can still buy the original cut. The special edition of Star Wars is probably the one example of a movie experiencing the same amount, the a fan of a movie experiencing the same uh, trauma in a lesser extent than actual trauma, trauma of experiencing a theme park ride being changed. So that's that's the comparison I can make. Sure. Yeah. And, and, uh, it's, it's interesting that, uh, we've got all these kind of 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, on and on and on, uh, refurbishments and stuff of these classic rides, um, uh, or, or they're simply gone. Um, so it's, it's such a challenge to even think about, like, how would you even do a theme park library? Like, where would you store the archives of a theme park? And it, you, you do talk about VR, um, but, you know, what other options even are there? You can't rebuild the theme park. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, I, I guess I guess we it. just agree. It, it just can't <laughs> be done. So uh, VR, VR might be an option, though. Maybe, but no, because you can't. No, you just can't do yeah, it. You just can't. <laughs> Unless you rebuild the ride, and even then, you know, it's just, you can't, you can't do it. I'm sorry, I don't know what to tell you. It's just that's and that's what makes what I do so compelling to so many people. I believe mm-hmm. is that the permanence is there, and I talk about this. And I mean, we're going to get into spoilers soon. This is like a major part of the book is this idea. Right. So, well, maybe yeah. maybe we yes. should warn the audience here, and then we could we could dive into that question. So, oh yeah, for sure, we gotta get into it at some point, right? Right. So to those those of you who are listening, the uh, conclusion of the book is, Kevin, you described it as a surprise. It's a surprise. So if Uh, if there's... Don't don't listen to this if you haven't read the book yet, and then come back. Spoiler alert! So uh, the book is Defunct Land, colon, Guide to the Magic Kingdom, uh, and it is coming out when? 
It is coming out, I believe, late October, early November for Amazon. Okay, it'll so, be on Amazon, whether it's Prime or whether it's quick shipping, it'll probably be through Amazon somehow. So if you're listening to this before you have read the book, please hear stop, stop the recording. We will still be here uh, when you get back. And uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about the end of the book because Alice and I have questions and comments uh, and we want to share. Concerns? Well, I don't know about concerns, <laughs> but we want to we share a conversation about it. But now is not your time. We will be here when you when you finish the book. Um, so I think that's that gave them enough time to reach for their buttons and pause the episode. Uh, can we ask the question now, Alice? Uh, I would I would I would like that very much. Yes. In the concluding chapters of the book, uh, you, the reader, and and you, uh, Kevin, get uh, into some trouble. I would say. Right. Yeah. Uh, there, there's there's a trip into the Utilidors, uh, which are the <laughs> system of tunnel uh, systems of tunnels that run below the Magic Kingdom, and then a uh, a quick arrest um that happens when you try to impersonate Chip of Chip and Dale, Dale fame. Is it Dale? No, you, you impersonate Dale, yes. It's Dale. You impersonate Dale. You impersonate Dale. <laughs> if you impersonate Dale, you end up slapping a princess across the face and it's running a away. I can right. that. These are, all, these are all a series of instructions slash narrative pieces that that come together until you are sitting alone in a in a Disneyland, sorry, Disney World prison cell, uh, and you are approached by former CEO of the Walt Disney Corporation, Michael Eisner. Michael uh, Eisner has some really really wonderful things to say because there yes. was a point and and i think you did this to me on purpose because i definitely fell right into this tension there was a point where when you were talking about saving animatronics and about how you know if we if we could save them then we can you know preserve D disney world how it how it should be and you, the, the the character does seem to kind of spiral into this kind of like uh Almost what manic. I think is, uh, yeah. This yeah. manic kind of like desperate, how I feel is a, almost a little, and this is my my personal opinion on, on people who are like this, this kind of like elitist attitude towards, well, I hate everything that Disney's doing now and I want to preserve this old stuff and nothing new and, and, and everything that was old is better. And Michael Eisner comes and sits you down. And, and so I was a little afraid there for a minute that that's what this whole book was going to be about, that the whole thing at the end was going to be about how defunct rides were better than new rides and then all of a sudden michael eisner sits down and gives you this wonderful ted talk about, <laughs> about did that line I, I forget did that line leave in i was like his yes, speaking fees are astronomical yes. is that line still in the book <laughs> yes, i forgot it is if still that got taken book. out of it's absolutely <laughs> okay, still yeah. in the book and it's so good where michael eisner and his uh, just sits you down and gives you yeah the keynote speech in in this amazing talk about why they made why he makes certain why he made certain decisions and why certain things get cut and and about how hardcore fandom is only one percent of the population of people who experience it and maybe things aren't just for you and kind of and 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 you find a balance there you say well sure yes by the end we understand that we're not the ones that things are being made for but at the same time we want to and this is coming going back to 
you know, what you were saying about preserving rides, um, you know, preserving the history and the, and the, the feeling of them, um, while still allowing for, uh, for progress and, and not all progress is good, but what, what are we, if we're not chance takers, Right. Yeah. And right. I really, really appreciated that. And that was something I, I feel like a lot of Diz Twitter and a lot of like Disney fans really need to hear because there's so much negativity and so much anger every time any one little thing changes, because it seems like everything is sacred where if one thing changes and they're like, oh, but that was my sacred favorite thing. And it's so important to Disney. I can't believe they change it. And it, but and not everything can be sacred and, and, and not everything is for you. And I just really appreciated hearing that from Michael Eisner's own words, as you were saying in the in acknowledgements that so much of that comes from his uh, autobiography, right? Um, yeah, with a, yeah. With a few little uh, tweaks here and there. To make it. Right. The, yeah. It's a, uh, it, that, well, I'm glad that came through. That is a, uh, and I, the, the character of me really, becomes less of me and more of a story you know uh, around Adventureland like and then that's when it gets into more of uh, I'm I'm tr- I'm the antagonist essentially to yeah. the story I'm your guide but I'm also like the villain because I have this big weird James Bond villain plan where you're the pilot test mm-hmm. and if this goes well I'm gonna send all these books out and everyone's gonna have them <laughs> You're gonna then, uh, uh, end up Bernie's uh, yeah, we Bernie's the out of there in a sundress. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. There's there's a lot to unpack in that those last two chapters. But the uh, I when I, well, first of all, I should say when I was and I mentioned this on another podcast. But when I was originally writing this, it was not the same adventure. It was you go to the Utilidors and there's this big underground secret society and there's this whole cinematic universe. I was gonna set up all these sequels to books and then I was like, this isn't authentic. You know, there was things like you learn so much about these attractions and now you have to pass these trials and this Indiana Jones-esque tomb you have to get through mm-hmm. and then you get you get the timekeeper it's like the the Ark of the Covenant at the very end I'm like okay that's stupid that doesn't make any sense why would they do that um, but the, the then I was like this needs to be more honest and so it's this idea that is actually present in Defunct Land it's me it's how do I give up on things how do I release things how do you how do you give up on something that's so important to you in, in in an art form that is so temporary? It's not just saying like, you know, it's not saying, oh, man, they made a Star Wars sequel I didn't like. This ruins my childhood. <laughs> like, that's ridiculous. Those movies still exist. It's a little different with theme parks. They say, OK, they're going to replace Mr. Toad's Wild Ride with uh, Winnie the Pooh. That's gone forever. Like, it's not just, oh, I don't like this other thing. It's kind of ruining this thing that exists. It's like, okay, well, I hope you enjoyed that because you'll never experience it again as long as you are a human living on Earth. And that's really final and that's scary. And um, and I don't agree with everything Michael Eisner says in the book. Um, I don't. And I say that at the end. He sa- I yeah. mean, he says, like, change is it's part of business. Not only part of business, part of life. You got to do it. It's if if you're not changing, you're not helping, and then the whole park will become defunct, and then you'd really have something to complain about. Um, and it's it's this whole thing, and a lot of that is his own words when he wrote his book. Um, this was before, you know, a lot of the debacle. It was after, I guess, 1995. I think it was 1996 or seven. It's it's after Disney's America, I should say. Um, so like things have gone wrong, and he's he's and he he's honest in his book about this, and 
Um, in the original revision, I wrote all of his words. And I was like, this is wrong. This, this sounds like me being Michael Eisner. I need to have Michael Eisner come and literally antagonize me. Like he needs to, I need to pick the quotes in his book that I disagree with the most and then find the truth, his truth within that. And that was, that was difficult, but it, I, it ended up, you know, I think being okay. And I, clearly I think you enjoyed it. So that's great. Um, and then, you know, I had to derive some sort of message from that. I mean, we're talking a lot about chapter eight. <laughs> we can talk about the whole utility, the, that chase and my research with making sure the utilidors were accurate. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, cause you can actually do that. Don't do it, but you can. Like you you ha- you can't actually jump off the people mover and land on top of the train. And land you can't on the actually, train, yeah. There there are actual points where the conductor and the caboose driver cannot see you. Like there are those things are real. Don't do it, but they're real. <laughs> um, and so Again, like, there is a there is not, there, do not do not do it. And there there might not be a Brazilian family that doesn't speak uh, that speaks Portuguese. <laughs> the, and, like, and the, the most unbelievable part of that to me was that that was the only family on the back of the uh, on, in the in the last car. The yeah. fact that a, a railroad car could pass you by and there's only one family in it instead in the of being car. over in the, over, in the middle car instead of being yeah. totally overflowing with people just like crammed into every inch of that because like when I went it was so packed the whole park was so packed and every attraction was full the the idea of finding an empty or a mostly empty car was the most unbelievable part to me (laughs) oh well i I guess that's great if you got past the fact that you literally jump onto and off of the train Um, but i will also say you didn't go on april fool's day or elite day so i you can't really attest to crowds should have gone on those recommended days you should have gone on the recommended days and said it was your birthday um (laughs) <laughs> on leap day. Uh, no, but yeah. So, but chapter seven is just wacky, and it's uh it's this whole lead up, and it's and it's a lot of me being like, you know, hey, like it's me going crazy. Uh, it's like me losing losing my my sensibilities and losing my mind, and then I'm like, I can't, um, you know, I just I I, I want to preserve these rides, and you need to do this, please, and I'm begging you. Um, and it's also me realizing, like, oh my gosh, everything is fleeting. This is it. I, I've talked about this for a long time, and I just—it's coming. I'm coming to grips with it. And that's also present in the series. It's like a—it's an extension to Defunct Land. The series and my 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 opinions. And so this is like a culmination. It's a turning point in my character when I, we get put in jail and I give up. And then Michael Eisner comes and sits me down, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I just get obliterated by him. Um, <laughs> what message do I can I derive from this to end the book on? And I think, well, no, it's not that, you know, you got to be okay with change. I'm like, you know, you don't have to be okay with change. That's, you have to be honest. You can't hate change as an idea. You have to look at change and be honest about it. There's also some good in change. But I, I, at the end of that paragraph, I believe I say I'm unresolved. I don't know. But the point is that everything is temporary, especially in theme parks. And you need to go out and you need to experience the world before it becomes defunct. Like if there's anything you can take away, it's that we don't really come to we don't come to a conclusion on how you should feel we don't come to a conclusion on how you should react but if there's one thing you need to do is you need to go and ride and you need to go and experience everything in the world that you want to because it's not going to be there forever whether you like it or not and so i think that's that i mean just getting to that point took a long conversation with michael eisner using his real wor- words which i which i um i hope flowed correctly i mean it does sound like a keynote but uh, but that throwaway line really makes it a little bit more forgivable, I imagine. <laughs> no, yeah. it was it was good. It was refreshing to hear in in a in a time like you were saying before, where fandom and internet 
culture can be so so polarizing either you would love something or you hate something and there's almost no room in in podcasting or youtubing or in any sort of criticism to to be somewhere in the middle it was refreshing yeah. to 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 read a, a little bit of of both and come out on the other side with a yeah with a middle ground of you know what just know that it's gonna you don't you know you can't can't fight it it's gonna happen it's you don't have to be happy about it but um but just go but that yeah your your best advice is just go and experience it because you're never gonna get another shot and that that yeah i found that refreshing and and awesome thank you yeah it was it was just something i had to and it wasn't easy to get to that point in writing the book i mean there was a lot of different revisions of that end scene i knew there had to be an end scene there had to be an end something um because if not what is the book it's like well that was adventure and uh have a good day um <laughs> like you know it's there, there needs to be more in my opinion to just that, no, um, and, and, that and that more being a lightsaber fight between bob Iger and michael eisner was really <laughs> yeah exactly exactly yeah. Um, but i, I, I really great. do think that it uh it provided that same sense of closure that you were talking about for defunct land the youtube series uh which is which is about uh kind of holding on to memories but noting that these things are gone um it, rather than dragging a timekeeper robot with you through the rest <laughs> that's of life. Not the point. Uh, that's something that happens but yes right the the point is yeah. to to validate your memories to say that yes things are good that you remember it's re good to remember those things but it is not good to try to steal the now from others, um, which I think is uh, that's so, so, so important. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's it. Well, you you hit it on the head. I mean, that's that coming to grips with that was it was hard to you know find that landing ground. And also just I also started to realize that I think I mean, of course, I, I went through so many revisions. I apologize for keep asking. Was this in my own book that I wrote? Um, but the uh, <laughs> just find it just to, I go on and on about how you have to add stuff to fill in white space in a book of this kind. It's not like Harry Potter where you can just throw text into the book and then just kind of like evens itself out and then you just start the next chapter wherever it was very difficult to add enough text and stuff. Um, but the, uh, but part of the, um, the thing that I found most interesting, my revelation was, and this is, this is probably not nearly as profound as I would like it to be, but my revelation was almost the more we care about these parks, the more the fandom grows, the more intense you become a fan the less Disney cares about you. And that's kind of like scary because the more you prove your loyalty to them, the less they, they, they don't think they're going to lose you. You know, they're, they're working on getting more people you know, they're working on, you know, reaching out to the people that are lukewarm, not the people that are Disney diehards, right? They, they, they care less about you. They'll, I mean, the Imagineers, the storytellers, the movie, the, the script writer, there'll always be references for you. But as far as big decisions, no way, you know. And so that's that's another thing that I was like, ooh, that's kind of scary to think about, if that makes sense. Sure, but it's also it's also about how that's how Disney got loyalists in the first place, right? That's how that's how these places became hubs of innovation and of of memory. It's by providing people with something that they couldn't see anywhere else. And as these things age, uh, as they as they become more and more commonplace, um, for example, like you said about the uh, 
the Carousel of Progress. It's not interesting to watch the family react to Christmas morning in the year 2000 because we have Alexa and we have, uh, <laughs> you know, we have touchscreens everywhere and we, we have all of this, this technology that back then would have wowed audiences, but now is like, yeah, that's, I guess that's kind of how it is. It's a, it's a bit like that. Like we're, we're beyond yeah. that. Uh, so to, to sit on its laurels would be, uh, would would make it not what it is uh it would it would make it a museum instead of uh instead of a theme park that's kind of what i'm what i'm trying what i tried to get at and what i'm trying to get at now is just that like the more of a fan you are you have to realize that that you became a fan because of something original you didn't become a fan because disney was pandering to fans you became a fan because they gave you something new and fresh and something you didn't know you wanted and that is what got you into it. Most likely, you know, I mean, there's, it's not like if Disney just pandered to the diehard fans, not there, the, the community would get smaller and smaller and more niche and niche. And that's, that's true with anything. I do that. If I pandered to just my fans, the next episode would be horizons, then Nickelodeon studios, then great movie, right? You know what I mean? It's like, I know exactly what they want, but I'm not always going to give the fans just what they want. I want the community to grow. I want to give the Nick Hotel. Not one person suggested that. Not one. But a lot of people remember it and they you gotta give them something new. And so that's something that's also already comes to come to grips with is in theme park world, when you give someone something new, an original experience, something they've never experienced before, you have to put it somewhere. And you might put it on top of something that people love. And that's very hard to come to grips with. And I and Disney will always favor the new person over the diehard fan because that that's what you do and that doesn't make them evil and that doesn't make them that doesn't mean they dislike their fans that's just the nature of the game i think hmm. um then that's not to say again i'm not i'm not saying that disney doesn't care about us right it's that as far as the big decisions it's that disney is less concerned about what we necessarily our sentiments are if that, if that makes sense i'm, I'm yeah the priorities the truth is probably Right. Yeah. It's there will always be those fun references, you know, but but nothing is that sacred to the company as an idea, like the executives. You got a lot of the executives aren't creative people. Um, they're business people that know really that are great at math. You know, I mean, some people are really not in depth with the creative side and some people are in depth with the other side. And I mean, some people can do both, but it's like the people, you know, maybe pressing the green light. They're not thinking about it from a creative way. They're thinking about, well, you know, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride really isn't drawing in that many people. What if we put Winnie the Pooh there? Green light it. You know, that kind of thing. That's what I'm trying to get at. Right. That was our last question. Well, Alice, it sounds like our interview with Kevin Perger of Defunct Land, A Guide to the Magic Kingdom, has come to an end. Unfortunately, yes because we had such a good time talking to you tonight, Kevin. Thank you so much for joining us. Even through all the technical difficulties, it was an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Well, you know, thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. And uh, maybe I'll come back someday for unbook-related reasons and we can just dive deep into whatever topic. But no, this is really great. So thanks for having me. And thanks for reading the book. We'd absolutely love that. Uh, we really enjoyed the book. And again, the book will be available on Amazon. Kevin, you were saying uh, sometime around October, right? Uh, late October, early no, probably early November. Um, 
and yeah, it'll also be available on Kindle and probably iBooks or whatever you listen to your listen to. Do you listen to books um, that aren't Sometimes. audiobooks? Some, Sometimes. Oh, yeah. Okay, that was a bad joke. Um, <laughs> you know what? I would listen to I would listen to this as an audiobook, and I can imagine kind of a uh, a listen to this while you're at Disney World, sort of a, a like an audio tour guide. Yeah, part of it would um, be just yelling. That about would be Dolores. really fun. <laughs> be like the, American the Vanilla. Is the being dangerous thing would be the, the direct instructions to to break Disney's rules. Um, <laughs> My lawyers are telling me that you can't do this. Like that'd be the most inflected audiobook of all time. Like just the most the wildest of emotions. But then I'd actually have to act out the ending, which would be weird. Anyway, you could you could probably get. Uh, Eisner and Iger to to do their lines. I bet. Oh, if you I'm ask sure Eisner. they're not busy. <laughs> it's not like they have anything going on. Yeah. Um, so the book is Defunct Land: Guide to the Magic Kingdom. The YouTube series is just Defunct Land, um, and we have been uh, Buddy Duquesne. And 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 we have been Alice White. And we have been Kevin Perger. And this has been Those Happy Places. Alice, uh, did you know that if listeners wanted to find us, that they could do so on Twitter? That's right. You can find me on Twitter at Alice White, THP, for Those Happy Places. And I'm at Buddy underscore Duquesne. Duquesne is spelled D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E. And if you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends. And join us on the Facebook page at facebook.com slash those happy places where we're always talking about theme parks, rides, and attractions. Come join the conversation sometime. Uh, did you know that if you are listening to this right now, you are probably hearing our theme music, which is by the California Feet Warmers featuring Phil Elvin? Is it called Golden Gate, buddy? It is called Golden Gate. Uh, <laughs> it's a great song. You can find them at CaliforniaFeetWarmers.com. Oh, and did you know that you also probably heard some additional music in this podcast? Uh, I, I, I did hear that additional music. It's very lovely. And you can find that by Poddington Bear on the Free Music Archive. Uh, and Kevin, where can they find you? Um, you can find me anywhere where Defunct Land is sold. Literally just type in Defunct Land and there I am. YouTube, youtube.com slash Defunct Land, twitter.com slash Defunct Land. And of course, guys, we love to hear your feedback and uh, to get your uh, input and to talk to you guys online. So please do reach out to all of us. Um, and... Alice, I think that might be it. I think so, too. Well, then we should say goodbye to everybody. Thank you for listening, and we hope you return to those happy places. 